So I always kind of felt like I didn't really make a good enough contribution after September 11th, which is maybe stupid, but, you know, I grew up in New York and I graduated high school in 2002. So it felt like to me, everybody like went to the military and then I was like, I'm going to go to music school. I wasn't really ever able to like shake that feeling. So I worked for a number of years after grad school and then decided that screw it, I'm just going to do it. And I sold my house and quit my job and enlisted at age 28. So when I was at basic training, I thought since I was older than most of the recruits there that I was like totally not going to get indoctrinated. And like, this is, this is just like a job, like, like any other job, the drill sergeants are just messing with you. And I'm like so much smarter than them and all that. So, but I totally drank the Kool-Aid. And so I remember like towards at the end you know, you have to say the soldiers created every single formation. And so towards the end of basic training, I like totally believed all of the words to it. And I'd like stand there and be all proud and be like, fuck yeah, I'm an American soldier. I'm an American soldier. I'm a warrior and member of the team. I serve the people of the United States and live the Army values. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never After I got out of a training environment and into the operational army, I started to feel like my service didn't mean as much. I'm not in combat. I'm not a trigger puller. I'm in the band. And just in case you were wondering, people don't stop making fun of the band after high school. We're inundated with images that validate the idea that the only real service is combat, being on the front line of a war zone, or that only men serve. And we're given this idea, if not explicitly, implicitly. You see it in magazine ads, at sporting events. It's almost always a dude coming home to his wife after war. Sometimes I feel like even like self-guilt about not having gone those places because I have friends who have been, you know, to the Middle East and it's like, oh, I haven't done that. So maybe I'm not on the same level or like worthy. That was Kayla, a specialist in the Army National Guard. She has a lot of similar feelings to other women veterans that I've spoken with. She grapples with the same questions. Does my service matter? Am I really a veteran? My name is Victoria Chamberlain, and this is She Served. Being a woman in the military can be a lonely existence. You want to be part of the brotherhood, but it's hard not to feel like you're on the outside looking in. A lot of women have to work through these feelings that their service doesn't matter. Women who did see combat are often met with disbelief by civilians. Women who didn't see combat see their service devalued. Women who have served don't identify as veterans more often than men. For a lot of women, not feeling like because they either did X, Y, and Z on like the veteran checklist, whatever that is, like depending on time period, so me being like the post-9-11 baby or whatever, you know, 
Um, I haven't been to Iraq or Afghanistan. And it's like for the grand scheme of, I think, what the public thinks of this time period since 9-11, that's like one of the check marks of like being a veteran. The post 9-11 checklist. You deployed to the Middle East. You were wounded in combat. You deployed again. You're a man. After 17 years at war, these are the things that we've come to internalize that mean veteran. We've had a lot of time to sit with these images and misconceptions about what it means to serve and who serves. There's a few things you need to know about Kayla. She's junior enlisted. When you're a lower-ranking soldier, your opinion isn't really asked for very much. She's also a Black woman, and that gives her an entirely different experience as a woman who serves from me. I don't know what age I was, like, when this happened, but, like, seeing those commercials, and I remember hearing about the announcement of women being able to do the cultural, like, support team thing and, like, integrating women into kind of, like, more heavily, I guess you could say, like, combat situations. I was like, that's, like, the coolest thing. Like, I just thought those women are, like, my heroes. That was kind of, like, what inspired me to enlist. In the mid to late 2000s, women were still excluded from ground combat officially excluded. Insurgents didn't really care if the unit they attacked was an all-male infantry company that excluded women or not. So women who served in other types of units saw firefights and had their vehicles attacked by improvised explosives, just like men. Female engagement teams were developed to help the military operate in Muslim areas more effectively. Cultural barriers prevented men from entering all-female spaces, so women trained and patrolled alongside the men. It allowed Marines and the Army to gather human intelligence that they were missing out on from half the population in places like Afghanistan. The idea of women serving with men so heroically got Kayla really excited to enlist. But she had some work to do first. I was, like, over the weight requirement to be able to enlist, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I had an amazing recruiter who I still keep in contact with. And he could have been like, you know, whatever, like, I'll go on to the next kid. And he was like, no, you want to do this. I mean, he worked with me, worked out, and so that I could do the whole whatever body fat threshold that's necessary. Kayla worked really hard to get in good enough shape to join the Army. But once you're there, you have to stay in shape. So when I asked her what was something that's hard about being a woman in the military, her answer wasn't surprising. PT. And that sounds like maybe like a trash answer. Hold up. That is definitely not a trash answer. Physical training is a big deal in the military. It can be the difference between life and death in combat. You have to be able to run from the enemy. You have to be able to run to the enemy. You have to be able to carry your battle buddy when they're down. I will never leave a fallen comrade. It's really a number one requirement that everyone has to achieve. And if you don't achieve physical fitness standards set by the military you will be separated from the service. If you're on active duty, you have to show up for physical training every day, Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m. You get there, you stand in formation, your leaders take accountability of you, you listen to Reveille, salute the flag, and then get to it. Physical training usually lasts about an hour, sometimes 90 minutes, and then you have an additional 90 minutes to eat breakfast, get yourself cleaned up, and show up for work at 9 o'clock. So you have that external influence of being forced to work out every morning. But somebody like Kayla has to do that all on her own, just like a civilian. Except the difference is she still has to maintain the same physical fitness standards as I do on active duty. 
So it's a big challenge for the National Guard and the reserves. It's always been just a tough thing for me. I think part of like being active when you're a kid and then you go away to college and there's like food and you're stressed and then like all of a sudden you factor and you have to be like in like amazing shape and like just the up and down of that whole thing. Being a woman in the world is hard enough as it is and we're constantly judged by how we look. But to add your body type and weight as a condition of your employment can add a whole new layer of psychological stress. I've talked to so many women in the military who otherwise feel good about their bodies, but the Army dictates the acceptable number on the scale, no matter what. For Kayla's age range, a woman that's 5'3 can't weigh more than 143 pounds. 5'4", You have like a full-time job that is like a 24-hour news cycle and having to like work out. (laughs) Which, I don't know, to some people it seems like you can just like wake up at 5 or like go after work and it's like, you know, that doesn't work for everyone, unfortunately. You can't do anything with the trash PT score, so it's like whatever dream I have, I cannot accomplish without that first thing. Having a leader in the Army that supports you and helps you succeed the way Kayla's recruiter did makes all the difference in the world. You learn that lesson quickly in the military. And the first time it really set in for me was at basic combat training. I stayed in a big open bay, which is just like a big room where everyone sleeps and all the women were together in the same bay. We were all from wildly different backgrounds, different ages, different parts of the country, different religions— In every way people can be different, we were. Then one night, one of the drill sergeants came bursting through the door, shouting at one of the trainees in my platoon. He demanded she take out the very intricately laid braids in her hair immediately because they were out of regulation. She explained to him that was going to take all night. And he said to her matter-of-factly, Well, Private, I guess it's a good thing you have 50 new friends. So a bunch of us sat around her for hours, removing the braids one by one. She would have been up all night doing it by herself. And that moment just really struck me. It made me realize how much representation really matters and makes a difference. Less than 1% of Americans serve in the military. And women make up 20% of that small number. Black women are an even smaller number. And even smaller still are black women in positions of leadership in the military knowing that I could talk to an NCO and she would know what the regulations for having braids in her hair. I cannot ask. I could ask because in a hypothetical situation, everybody should know the regs. But like, let's just be real about it. So, you know, having that conversation at ease and saying, hey, is my, you know, can I go get braids? Can I have braids of this color? Will it be appropriate? You know, are people, am I going to stick out? Is the diameter of my bun too large? You know, those type of things, which kind of seem small, but when that's part of, like, your culture and you're able to freely ask those questions and they have answers to them, that's really comforting. Regulations around Black women's hair have been pretty controversial. In 2014, the defense secretary actually had to order the military to review its policies about hairstyles that were popular with Black women because of so many complaints after the Army banned cornrows, twists, and dreadlocks. Black women felt that they were unfairly targeted. The regulations for all women's hair are deliberately vague and left up to interpretation in a way that men's haircuts are not. When you factor in someone never being exposed to hair of a different race, that can make it harder to navigate. When leadership is more representative, it helps solve all of these problems. 
Something a lot of women have in common is the feeling like you have to perform even better than your male counterparts. Kayla feels an extra level of pressure, in part because of her race. Like, I just have to be 10 times better, I think, at just whatever I'm going to do, because I automatically stick out. And so I don't have the privilege of, like, being mediocre. It's unfortunate, but that's something that I was groomed up to know in my family, like, before I enlisted in the military. That's... For a lot of, I think, people of color, women of color, it's the same thing. We don't have the privilege to be mediocre, like, in any aspect of our lives. So it's, like, it's really another thing to add to my plate. My second unit, I was the only woman and the only woman of color. And so it was, like, an immediate shock to both parties. (laughs) But, like, either, you know, who does she belong to? And, like, muddying up that, like, very awkward sort of, like, um, just environment of, like, she's one of us, like we're a team, and knowing that other people would be like, oh, you're that, like, female. You're with, like, the other group of guys. And then in my unit I'm in now, I'm the only female in my section. Kayla is in a really supportive unit right now. She's the only female, and there's a pretty big age gap between her and her immediate leadership, but you can tell that they really have her back. She feels comfortable asserting herself with this group of guys. And part of that is from lessons learned from previous units. She knew that she had to establish who she was right from the beginning. Sometimes you have to, like, fight, pick what battles you're going to fight. Because there will be times when, like, nobody will support you and it will be really crushing. But you have to find people who will be able to back you up. Because in the military, like, everyone's a team. But, like, some people are not as team-oriented sometimes. And that sucks, but it is what it is. Because it's like any other organization, you've got people coming from all over, and they don't screen for, like, sexism. When you're in a team environment and you're a person who wants to contribute, people thinking that you're lesser because your your gender is really frustrating because it's like, okay, I don't want to contribute. But then I can't because then people will think that I'm not contributing because I'm a woman. It's just like, <laughs> like, it's this cyclical thing that's really frustrating. Like, in my unit now, I know that, like, if if I wanted to, like, pick up a box that was really heavy and someone was like, oh, no, Jackson, I got it, I could be like, no, I have this. Like, I'm fine. And I won't feel bad about being vocal because I know I won't get any pushback. But in other places or in other environments, like, that could fall back negatively on me. But I know I have a really good support system, like leadership-wise or in my section, where like people know, like, I know how to do my job. Or even if I don't, I'll either find out a way or I found out someone else. And they don't, I don't think that they think lesser of me because I'm a woman. But part of that is because I was very prominent on proving myself when I first got there, because I didn't want to have any sort of doubt in anyone's mind that like, She's just, like, slacking off because you don't want that as a woman, I think, in uniform. Kayla has a full-time civilian job as a journalist. A 24-hour news cycle, a lot of pressure. And she trains one weekend a month, two weeks out of the year, with her National Guard unit. Just a quick note about the Guard. It's military service that allows you to lead your life mostly as a civilian, except for when you're training. And training is called drill. This month's drill happened to coincide with her firing range, which is a requirement that most everyone in the military has to fulfill, twice a year usually. I decided to take a ride down to meet her. Just to warn you, you're going to hear some gunshots. Five shots. At the time, hear that. Seven round magazine. 
and lock and load. Engage your target. Like, in a weird sort of way, sometimes drill is a break from my day job. And, like, when you go to drill, that's all you have to think about. At, like, because you either have a lot going on or you have nothing going on. But either way, like, you can't go anywhere. So it's, it's a weird sort of, like, mental break from what's going on throughout. But it just wasn't something that I was, like, passionate about. I just wanted to do something totally different. But, um, yeah, people ask me that all the time. They're like, why don't you do public affairs? I'm like, because I do that already. <laughs> you know, like, the military is, like, especially being in the Guard is one of the few places where you can get a totally different trade skill, do something totally different than your regular job, and, like, still get paid for it. So, like, why not do something different? Kayla was there initially to qualify on the M4, which is a smaller version of the M16 rifle. And a lot of the guys that she serves with are military police by trade. And so they wanted to qualify on the M9 pistol. And so Kayla got to try her hand at that. She needs some practice on the M9, but she's in good hands. Um, I actually like running the range. Um, it's just really fun. You can keep tracking of everything. Last time they let me get in the tower so I can get on the microphone, so that's fun. That's exciting. <laughs> What's it like doing range in the winter? It's horrible. Tell the folks at home how great that it's is. It's cold. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. It really sucks. The firing range was pretty consistent with what I've experienced before. Disgusting porta potties living off of granola bars, and pretty much standing around all day. I think so many of the times we're in the military, it's like a gender-neutral thing. Like, everybody is treated the same. Mm-hmm. But, like, for example, on the range, or last night, sleeping... I have a male and a female latrine. Okay, well, the female latrine was locked last night. So I'm like, okay, it's me. Of course it was. And the only other female is um, an S3, is a lieutenant, which she's cool, but obviously me being on the enlisted side, we don't get to have too much daily interaction. Um, And she's in the talk all day, so I don't even know... Like, we don't we don't have the same responsibilities throughout the day. And so I'm thinking, like, so where am I supposed to go to the bathroom? Okay, tree line. I could do it. Whatever. It's happened. I don't really want to, like, use the bathroom standing up because I'm not a dude, right? Um, and I'm like, I have two choices. Outside or go to the mail latrine. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <sighs> and so, like, similar situations. Yeah, and similar situations have happened before. And it's kind of one of those just, like... I had to grit my teeth because it's like, do I want to complain? I don't want to complain, but I want people to know that, hey, there's only like two females out here, but... We're here. Yeah, we're here. And it's not like we're... I mean, we're on the range. We're not in the freaking wild. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. If there was like no bathroom, okay, everybody go to the bathroom in the woods. Exactly. But But there's a building that's designated for, you know, for people to feel comfortable. So what did you do? I went to the mail train. It was at night, too. I was like, just brought my baby wipes. You know, didn't take too long to look around. And then by the morning, I had talked to the lieutenant. And she was like, I just wanted to let you know I got the door unlocked. She was like, I don't know why it was locked, but whatever. So that was like, ah, like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And I was like, thank God. I mean, I wish it was unlocked last night, but. Yeah, no, that's stressful. And I feel like people use that as a crutch all the time. Like, I've had that, I had that experience in Korea. And during the, like, joint exercises, there'd be a building. 
And mm-hmm. so if there wasn't access to the women's facilities, yeah, it would be like, well, what would you do in the field? And it's like, well, like, we're not there. Like, the, that's, that's my point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that doesn't have to be the answer to everything. Like, you have the, the comforts of indoor plumbing. That doesn't give you an excuse to pretend like we're not here. Like, or last night, the whole sleeping situation. So event, we were going to... How'd that shake out? So we were going to do tents, but we did some, or not me, my section, I were like, we're going to sleep in a building. It's a little cold. Like, all of a sudden, like, I would understand if you weren't prepared for it. it Well, we brought tents and some people were sleeping outside, but I think by the time we got back so late, setting up the tents in the dark, it was just like, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have made any sense. So they had like a storage building, of course, and a tower. I was like, okay, well, all of the S3 people, people in our section are going to go sleep in the storage building. You can come with us or you can go sleep in the tower by yourself. I had like a weird like mini conversation with myself because I'm like, okay, I could go sleep with everyone else in the building with my group, you know, with the people I feel comfortable with. Or I could go sleep in the tower where I know I would be separate as a female and everyone would know, oh, there's a female in there, but then I would be separate. And you're alone. Yeah, and I'm, but then I'm also alone. The Army didn't officially bring men and women together at basic combat training until 1993. But even then, men and women still slept in totally separate areas. So that's everyone's instinct, that sleeping arrangements have to be separate. So if you're the only woman in your unit and your instinct is to segregate yourself in sleeping arrangements because that's what you've been taught, it makes you stop and think when you're in a situation in reality where you're able to bunk with the people in your section who happen to be another gender. And there's a lot of studies that support that when men and women do bunk together, that instances of sexual harassment and sexual assault plummet because everyone sees each other as humans. I'm like, it was weird because it's like all of this happened within like two seconds. And I was like, no, I'll sleep with everyone else. And they're like, are you sure? It's okay. Like whatever you're comfortable with. So like, I feel like the, the guys in my section, like my leadership is really, I don't want to use the word accommodating, but acknowledging the, right. the fact that I am either comfortable or uncomfortable yeah. and making sure that I'm always comfortable. I got to witness firsthand the closeness that Kayla had with her section. There are S3 operations. So they put together all of the logistics for a mission to happen. And as military policemen, they're all expert marksmen on the M9 pistol. And they really wanted Kayla to be able to have that experience. And so they took the time to train her, and they joked a little bit with her about her first time out on the M9 range. Didn't go so well. Family, because... Check on each other all the time during the week. Well, three... Three of us are in, came from the MP company together, so we were all MPs together when it first when we first started this. And three of us are civilian police officers. Okay. So, so that's why you're giving her such a hard time about the pistol. So yeah, kind of. <laughs> but we're all so we're all tight. Right. And she came in to the circle that we had already. You know, I've known one of the guys for six years. Uh, others I've known for a minimum of four. And then she just rolled in as the new one. I'm definitely getting kind of like a super troopers vibe from this crew. <laughs> I don't, like I said, I don't Where's know. It was, I feel like, oh, right. So how was it coming in? 
issue. I feel like, like it was more of an adjustment to the battalion because I didn't understand like the fact our, that we're a combat engineer battalion. Yeah, but I didn't understand like our job as S3 of like literally being planning everything and like doing all of the work. And so when I got in, I was overwhelmed because I was like, where am I supposed to go? What did you think about us? He's like a journalist. Yeah. What did you think about that? No, he's a cop. He Overwhelming. <laughs> he's interrogating. <laughs> I say the same thing. It was overwhelming because everyone was like this. Well, I'm saying this. You can't see. Yeah. I'm holding my fingers. fingers Very close. close. And everyone, a lot of people like said, are cops on the civilian side? And I'm like, I'm not a cop. <laughs> I'm, I, wasn't, I wasn't an MP. I have what is this month? Six years in, and everyone has been in, been deployed. So for me, I was just like, it, se it seemed kind of out, like I was the outsider. I mean, I was, I mean, I am still. Um, like experience-wise, and trying to figure out like everybody's personality too. They have to be able to rely on each other. And they told me that they handpicked Kayla because of her maturity and how smart she is. And as former military policemen, they've been working for and with women for their entire careers. It was good to see firsthand that they really trust each other. But there's a blind spot. The bathroom wasn't unlocked. The military is a huge organization, a very large ship with a pretty small rudder that was set up for men and retrofitted for women. It does the best it can. Sometimes it can do better. Everybody's role is so vital. Um, and if you take out, you know, the person who handles, like, your paperwork so you can get paid, or you take out, like, the person who's, like, the mechanic for the Blackhawk, or you take out the electrician or the plumber, or, like, a contractor, um, like a veteran who wanted to do contracting after they got out, you know, it's like, okay, all of a sudden, like, the mission cannot be accomplished. I wish if the public, like, understood the important pieces about, like, what we all do and, like, together they're really important maybe we wouldn't have to have these conversations but you know we have you know the uniform and put it on but we're people she served is produced by victoria chamberlain this episode was mixed by alex Ryder. a very special thanks goes out to the washington dc npr member station wamu and the folks at the pod shop daisy ponzi and emily and the entire cohort for giving us the resources and encouragement to tell these stories 